Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. As you all know, or should know, it is currently Smack Off season. No, I do not have a date for Smack Off 30 yet, but that does not mean that we're not already in Smack Off season, because we are. We're in season. Just to be perfectly clear on that, every single day is a shot at a golden ticket to win Smack Off 30 or to get on the watch list. So you should get in here and shoot your shot. Now, I'll tell you one guy that does not need a reminder. This guy needs no reminder that it's Smack Off season. My dude, the snowman, the mafia's enforcer, the Bills' left tackle, my dude, Deion Dawkins. I don't need the fella to step his smack game up because Deion just unleashed an epic, incredible takedown of a divisional rival that is now all over the internet. And you should already know that rival in question. Of course, this dude went ham on the J-E-T-S. Now, ordinarily, this is where I say somebody pulled Deion Dawkins off the Jets. But I don't actually want that. Not at all. In fact, I can't get enough of Dion taking that entire 350-pound frame and climbing up to the top rope and then jumping off and crushing the Jets with all of his weight. So my man shows up on Vlad TV, of all places, for a wide-ranging interview that was about 90 minutes long. Dion said a lot of interesting things because, well, he's a very interesting dude. But by far the best part was when he stuffed the entire Jets organization into a locker. He basically took the Jets, shoved their collective heads into a toilet, and flushed. Just check out this description of what happened. Thank you, Alvin. Now close your eyes and imagine the entire Jets organization and the big dude pushing their head into the toilet. And flushing. You want to talk about circling the drain. Just check out this description of what happened back in November. Of course, there's bad blood. But check out this description of what happened back in November when Dion got into a postgame scuffle in the tunnel with Jets defensive end Michael Clemens. Check this. Weirdos being weird. <laughs> Weirdos being weird. You know, I don't even want to get a man no credit. Talking about him, you know, but number 72. Michael Clements. Michael Clements. Yeah. Yeah. Bitch boy. Um, <laughs> bitch boy. You know, I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. All of them, bro. They are awesome. Like, when it comes to sports, right, there's people that play the sport because they love the sport. And then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like, those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. Like, that's whack. Like, I play this because I'll die by it. I mean, what an absolutely masterful performance. That is a masterpiece. That is masterpiece theater. That's incredible. I mean, my man had me at just weirdos being weird. Weirdos being weird. I mean, all of that was so great. I've always liked this dude a lot. But I have never liked him as much as I do right now. Holy crap. Was that ever a takedown? 
Weirdos being weird. Michael Clemens is a bitch boy. Bitch boy. <laughs> He's saying all this about an active player on a team in his own division. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. Love to see and it. And then after he hit them with weirdos being weird, and I don't think he meant weird as weird is good, just weird, weirdos being weird, and the bitch boy blast, weirdos. Weirdos being weird. Weirdos being whack. I love that whole notion, too, about, like that's hey, man, some of these guys play the game for love. Like, we play the game because we love the game. Live and die. Love the game. Others play so they can post on Instagram. On Instagram. I love when he chased weirdos being weird and bitch boy with, man, I'm going to keep it a buck. I'm going to keep it a buck now. Another great line. Like he was holding back with weirdos being weird and the bitch boy blast. You know, I'm going to just keep it a buck. You know what? Screw it. Just screw it. I'm going to keep it a buck. After saying what he had said. I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. And they chase it with that. Incredible. Like, I'm breaking this down sentence by sentence because it's that much of a masterpiece. I'm going to keep it a buck. I hate them. I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. All of them, bro. Like. Like all of them. Sports, right? There's people that play the sport because they love the sport. And then there's people that play the sport just to try to be cool. I feel like they play the sport to try to be cool. Like those are a bunch of dudes that just want to take pictures on Instagram. <laughs> like that's whack. Like I play this because I'll die by it. Like, that's whack. So you absolutely hate them, and I absolutely love these quotes. Just burying a divisional rival in a random interview on Vlad TV. And, and, no shirt on, no shirt, breathing fire, and just spitting smack. And he wasn't done either. If you were wondering what Michael Clemens did to draw that kind of reaction, Dion had some incredible quotes to describe that as well. Clemens is talking to us, really talking at 17. And first of all, why are you talking to my quarterback? Don't talk to my quarterback. Stay over there. Don't say nothing to none of my guys. Just stay over there, son. Like, don't talk to 17. I'm really serious about that. Don't talk to him. Don't say nothing to him at all, right? He's my Chris Myrick. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to defend him by any means, right? But he's not a bitch. Josh is not a bitch. Clemens starts going, 13? You suck. F you. 79, F you. Went down a whole team. Everybody on the field. Bro, what am I supposed to do? Like, I'm, I'm the OG. I've been on this line for the longest. I'm the one that's going to punch you in your face. I'm the one that's going to be about whatever we about. I'm the one that's going to kick that door down. I'm the one that's going to be the first one to shoot. In this football world, that's me, right? I'm the good guy, but I'm also the demon. Simple as that. I mean, dude, I got chills. I got chills. That is so amazing. I can feel the entire pride of the mafia right now. I have pride, and I've got nothing to do with it. That is so amazing. Bill's mafia, how proud are you of this dude? That's what the mafia wants their franchise left tackle to sound like. Quote, I'm the good guy, but I'm also the demon. 
I'm the OG. I've been on this line the longest. I'm the one that's going to punch you in the face. And most importantly, don't talk to 17. I'm really serious about that. Yeah, dude, I can tell. He's like, don't talk to 17. Don't talk to any of my guys. I mean, my man was straight up in fuego. But I'm also the demon. This is how it's done, man. Take, 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 take. Make, 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 make. I could listen to this guy go off all damn day. Now, that said, that incident with Clemens did result in Dion getting a flag and a fine. But he had yet another amazing take for that. I get a flag, yeah. The money was whatever, whatever. The money is ball, whatever. Right. They find us for everything. Right. Cool. Unnecessary roughness. I don't even know how that's a call in a rough sport. Like <laughs> unnecessary roughness. How is it unnecessary roughness? Like the like the league is made off of big plays and hard hits. Like we know what like what we are getting into. We violent. Like it's a violent game. Are you gonna get hit? So yeah, get the fine. <laughs> Disregard it. <laughs> get the fine. Disregard it. <laughs> get the fine. <laughs> Disregard it. You know, I understand that you want to make the game safer. I get that. I do. I understand that you want to make the game safer, especially for quarterbacks. You need stars. Nobody wants to watch the NFL with a bunch of scrubs and QB2s and QB3s. But he does make a pretty interesting point, right? Unnecessary roughness in the NFL has always been an oxymoron. It's a pro football game. So what makes it so watchable? What makes it so enjoyable? The violence. The roughness, unnecessary roughness, the roughness is necessary. Without the roughness, the game doesn't have nearly the appeal. I mean, maybe they don't do it anymore, but it was not that long ago that they used to crank out VHS cassettes of the gnarliest hits of all and then try and walk it back. Like, they'd sell it. They'd sell it. They'd profit off it and be like, oh, no, we can't have that. You know, guys just lying on the ground, bleeding out. Are you one of millions struggling with premature hair thinning and hair loss? Or maybe you're scared about inheriting that thinning look because it just runs in the family. Introducing Provia, a real solution that delivers on its promise without the harsh side effects, unwanted chemicals, and unpleasant smells. Thanks to our friends that develop GenuCell Skincare, Provia uses Procapil. It's a natural ingredient to effectively target the three main causes of premature hair thinning for men and women of any age. By supporting scalp circulation, the delivery of nourishing nutrients, and hair follicle anchoring to your scalp, Provia guarantees more hair on your head than in the shower or on your comb or 100% of your money back. And right now, new customers can save over 50% off Provia's introductory package at ProviaHair.com slash Rome. Every package includes a full 60-day supply of Provia serum for daily use plus their super concentrate that could give you faster, more noticeable results. And every order includes your choice of a free gift at checkout. See results for yourself right now. ProviaHair.com slash Rome. ProviaHair.com slash Rome. These statements and products have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease or condition. Ask Deion Dawkins, especially when it comes to the Jets, all the roughness is necessary. Or quote, super necessary. 
100% of the roughness is totally needed. According to Dion, there is not enough roughness in the world for the Jets. It's all necessary, and it's all amazing. I mean, how can you not love that rant? That is an all-time rant. That's incredible. How can you not love it unless you're the Jets, obviously? And if the Jets don't love it, here's what they can do. Something, anything, win the division. You know, the one that Buffalo has won the last four years in a row, a.k.a. the same division that the J-E-T-S have not won since 2002. The hell are they going to say? Do you hear what I just said? They haven't won that division since 02. The hell are they going to say? And Jets fan, I don't want you coming in here with some kind of nonsense about beating them in week one. Nobody cares. I definitely do not want to hear your comments about Dion's shirtless physique. I don't want to hear any excuses. I don't want to hear about receipts. I definitely don't need baby boy, respect, bro, but I don't need baby boy rolling up in here to tell us that Zach Coog Hunter Wilson is going to get revenge on Buffalo because, of course, he's not. What's up, baby boy? The only comeback for you, Jet fan and Jet player and Jet organization, is to actually start getting competitive with these dudes because while these dudes might not be ripping off Super Bowls, they still own you. These dudes aren't going anywhere, and they are in your way. And they absolutely love being in your way because they absolutely hate your guts. They own you. And Deion Dawkins just communicated all of that in the most perfect way possible. That's damn near a perfect conversation. That's what happens when you find a guy like that and a topic like that. So I got to do it. It is smack-off season after all. I got to throw my dude a golden ticket right now. I don't know if he even knows what the smack-off is or what a golden ticket's all about or if he wants anything to do with it or if he'd even call on that day. But if he wants to, he's invited. Dion's in. My man, if you want to just call on the day of the smack-off and just go ham again on the Jets for five minutes, that might be enough to win. Definitely put you on the podium. Dude, your five minutes on the Jets might get you five gur, big fella. Especially if the rest of you clones do not step your games up. Because frankly, I haven't seen anything that good from any of you in a long time. I need y'all to be like that showman. Snowman. Shoot your shots. Let them hands go. Don't be weirdos being weird. Weirdos being Don't weird. Don't be bitch boys and bitch, bitch boys. girls. You know, I'm going to just keep it a buck. I hate them. I love how he wasn't keeping it a buck. You know, you know what? You know what? Screw it. Screw it. I'm going to keep it a buck. Let's get real. Man, I hate them. Bitch boy. You know, he actually complimented, to be I fair, he did compliment a couple of them. But not many. You know what? Screw it. I'm just going to keep it a buck. So good. And in, in any way, like or in any event, clones, what I'm saying is be like that guy. That's I know you can't be like that guy, but try to be like that guy. Try to be like Dion and rip a golden ticket and get in the smack off field of 30. Or the smack off 30 field, I should say. He wasn't even trying and he did. Hopefully, now this is key, hopefully Michael Clemens heard all of that. And he goes, demon on Dion. An important thing that we judge in the smack-off is the reaction, the counter. If somebody calls you out in the smack-off, you got to respond. There is no maybe about that. 
You could have God's gift of a script. But if you don't react to being called a bitch boy, bitch boy, you're going to get run. You little fanboy bitch. All the grades do it. And not some canned response that you already had the night before. It needs to be instant. It's got to be off the cuff. It's got to be in reaction to something you just heard. That's why the best like to go late in the show. So they can collect all that smack and then crack back accordingly. Hey, Michael, I don't know you, but let it fly. My best advice. You got to do better than a couple of lines about Dion having no shirt on. It's a good start. But it's way too obvious, and it will not carry. It will not sustain. I don't want to hear about his moves. That was incredible. Dion, my man. Breastfeeding Josh Allen is not going to get you a win. In fact, I shouldn't be talking about 17. I mean, I knew Dion had something in him, something legit. Even I don't know that he had that in him. That was incredible. An all-time legendary takedown. Hey, Jets fans, reaction. Hey, Mafia, where are you at? I'll take your thoughts on that, too. You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. I am talking about Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, huge week. I know you've been prepping hard. Thanks so much for joining us, DJ. How you doing? What's going on, Rome? It's great to be with you, brother. I didn't know if we were uh, if we we're just doing all combine or if we we're going to mix in some Ethan Salas as our 17-year-old catcher who's raking in spring training right now. <laughs> you like what you see from him. Dude, 17 years old. What were we doing when we were 17 years old? I feel like a failure. Seriously, nothing that important. Nothing that important. You're right, though. I feel you, dude. So let me ask you why I could jump. I was going to ask you about the coaches not attending, but our time is kind of short, so I'm going to put on the back burner for a minute. Caleb Williams, you've got projected as the number one overall pick. That's not surprising. We know what he achieved in college, DJ, but as impressive as it was, it doesn't guarantee future domination on the next level. Where would you like to see him improve if he is going to become a franchise quarterback on the next level? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's a secret, Jim. He's, you know, he's got to have to play a little bit more in structure and a little bit more on time. Um, you know, I, I'm one who gives him a little bit of a pass because, you know, when you go through and watch their tape, and, uh, you know, I, I think there's a reason why he got into some of those habits in the back half of the year. You know, when you're, when you're playing quarterback and they're rushing three and dropping eight and you're getting immediate pressure because your guard got whooped right off the snap, um, you get in some bad habits, man. There's nowhere to go with the ball, so you're trying to create and make something happen that's not there. Um, I thought there were times where, you know, he kind of got bored with completions, which you can't do. You know, he's big play hunting. He's got to take what's there. I, I think those are all correctable, though. So, you know, I, I, I'm I'm bullish on him. I hope he gets with the you know with the right coaches and uh, and they are you know able to instill some of these things in him. They're able to protect him. You know, a lot of times these kids come out of college and they go to the NFL and it's like, man, they've never they've never played behind a bad offensive line before or they've had, you know, superior talent coming from a lot of these schools. 
where you're you're in a control position because your defense doesn't give up a ton, and uh, and you play with the lead, and it's a lot easier to play the position that way. This is not that case. Like he he played with the 121st scoring defense in the country at USC. Um, to put it in perspective, Mahomes when he was at Texas Tech, they were 128. So his his group that, that he played with on the other side of the ball was a lot closer to. Uh, you know, the Texas Tech that Mahomes played with than it was to the, you know, the, the Matt Liner USC Trojan days. Such good points. Daniel Jeremiah joining us. So, DJ, the question of the combine, or one of them, do you think the Bears will see him as such a generational talent that they simply have to take him at number one? Or or could you make the argument that they've seen enough improvement from Justin Fields that they'd feel good about trading that top pick to get even more assets to build around him? In other words, if you were Chicago, what would you do? I'm going to chase the A-level quarterback, you know, I, I, and I give Fields credit. I think Fields has gone. If you're going to say Fields made the adjustment from, and the improvement from a C-level quarterback to a B-level quarterback, um, I, I still am going to chase the A, man. I just, I, I, to me, I, I look at the Super Bowls and you look at them like in a decade span, and you might get the outlier year where you're like, you know what, we used all our resources, we built up the whole team, and we were able to win a Super Bowl with Nick Foles. You know, every now and then you get one, okay, hey, we won one with Brad Johnson, you know, Trent Dofer, whatever. The, the majority of those Super Bowls are won by the Tom Brady's and the Patrick Mahomes, like the elite, elite dudes. Um, and I want to I wanna have one of those guys. So even though Caleb coming and say, hey, maybe Caleb, there's risk there, but I know there's also the upside of the A, uh, of him being an A-level quarterback. And that's, to me, I think at some point in time, there's no perfect prospects. But you've got to take your shot, man. You've got to go for it. And I think that's uh, that's what that decision would entail, and that's what I would do. Daniel Jeremiah joining us. All right, since you're part of that broadcast team for the Chargers, I don't want you to get sideways with your new head coach, Jim Harbaugh. But <laughs> let me just say this. He predicted a few weeks back that his quarterback from Michigan, J.J. McCarthy, would be the first quarterback taken in the draft. We know that's not going to happen. But where do you see him landing? What do you like most about his game? Well, I, I said that he's in a, like an acquired taste. So the more I watched him, the more I liked him. Um, because, look, when you watch him on TV, as we all did, and you watch Michigan, you're like, dude, what does this guy do? Like, they just run the ball and play defense. Like, he doesn't really have to do anything. And then when you dig into the tape, and the more you watch, and the more you watch, and you see key third downs, and you, you, know, you see those key moments where they need him to do things, and he does it. You watch um, you know, him against Ohio State last year in the game that he had. Uh, you know, and playing great in that one. And then fourth down in the playoff, you know, season on the line, he makes the play. So you got to watch more of him because he doesn't have the sheer volume that these other guys have because they didn't need him to. But I, I think it's all in there. I think he's got the skill set. Um, he's, by all accounts, really, really a bright kid. Kind of reminds me, the more I watch him, of like, this kind of gives me like an Alex Smith vibe. Like, same type build. Doesn't get bored taking completions. Just kind of just you know makes the play that's there, um, not extra. Just a really really solid player, and that you know that's going to be appealing to teams the more work they do on him. All right, so DJ, your rankings of the top fifty draft prospects does not have a quarterback at number two, but rather Ohio State receiver Marvin Harrison Jr., which is understandable, right? He's a freak. Does he look to you like the NFL's next dynamic playmaker? And then what's your overall outlook on the wide receiver class? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, you know, he's going to slide right in there with that, that top group that we have. I mean, he's really, really physically gifted. I, I don't think he's alone. I, I think those other guys uh, with the Doomsday from Washington and Neighbors from LSU, I think they're special players, totally different, you know, styles. 
neighbors being kind of the dynamic run after catch, you know, get on top vertical guy, um, you know, big, big plays. With a doomsday, you get the catch radius, the physicality. I think he's going to surprise people when he rips off a low 4-4 out here too at like 218 pounds. He's got like a little bit of T.O. to him, to be honest. Um, so he's a he's a really, really talented player. And then, you know, we, we talk about Marvin. So this college game, Jim, with, you know, with high school, seven-on-seven, and every college in the country throwing the rock, like we're going to see wide receivers every single year. It's just what the game's given us. Hey, TJ, let me ask you something. When you talk about evaluation, like many thought that S2 cognitive test had become such a key. And then, of course, you know where I'm going. It took hey, – the stock was not as high when C.J. Strzok bombed his test allegedly and then went out and had an amazing season. So when you look at things like that, like what do you make of that as a determining or as kind of a tool for teams to use? Is it as important after that? And then what do you make of the jerk or jerks who leaked the score in the first place? Yeah, I'll work backwards. Like, I, I don't understand why in the world you'd ever do that. Like, it just, I, I don't, it, it's somebody's, it's somebody's life. Um, I, I just, I don't get that. I mean, there's a lot of people who have access to information, um, but somebody decided to, to, to put that out there. So I, I don't agree with it. Uh, I just don't know whatever would lead anybody to want to do that. But um, working from into the front of your question, Jim, there's no – trust me, everybody's been trying to find, like, the, the, the cheat code here on evaluating quarterbacks. And it turns out maybe the only thing harder than playing the position is evaluating the position. Hmm. There's no – you know, there's no secret formula. You know, Parcells used to have his, like, criteria. If you check all these boxes, that was – you know, that was crucial. And then you had guys that came in and didn't do that. You know, we had, uh, okay, we're in the era of the, you know, we came out of the era of the big quarterbacks. We had, you know, Brady at 6'5", Roethlisberger 6'5", plus, Peyton 6'5", plus. And then all of a sudden, Russell Wilson comes around like, wait, come on, this guy can't play, he's tiny. And then uh, he goes out and has, has his success. Then we, then we see Mahomes and Josh Allen, you know, off schedule, creative playmakers, like, okay, well, that's the direction we need to go. And now we've got Brock Purdy, you know, playing at Super Bowls. So it's, there's no, you know, there's no type. There's no, there's no test uh, that you can have cognitively or even just watching the tape. Uh, Jim, it's, it's, uh, it's about finding the right fit for these guys in the right locations where they can really accentuate their strengths and hide their weaknesses. That's really what it is. Such great stuff. He is an NFL Network draft analyst, as you know, good friend of the program. The NFL Network is going to be all over the Combine, 50 hours of coverage of the Combine this week, live coverage of the on-field drills beginning Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. Daniel Jeremiah, our guest. DJ, appreciate you so much. I know you got a huge week ahead of you. Thanks for starting off with us, DJ. Appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you, Ron. We'll wrap again soon. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? This time, change up. Don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Instead, grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Here's why. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, and it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. On top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business, and they take their smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Like, who wants dried-out, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. That's who. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, 
teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy, all amazing and all different. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some old trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag and look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old trapper, what's your beef? We are joined by Raheem Morris. Raheem, it is awesome to talk to you. I appreciate you making time. How you doing, Raheem? Hey, Jim Rowe, I'm doing great, man. What a great introduction, man. Uh, you're so kind to bring me on that way. Uh, you didn't mention I was a two-time Super Bowl champion. My man, you are a two-time Super Bowl champion as well. <laughs> Absolutely, man. You are not wrong, Coach. You are not wrong. Listen, it is so great to have you. It is so great to be corrected by you, and it's so great to have you. Listen, you know the saying, stay ready so there's no need to get ready. But how do you stay ready for all that comes with being hired as a head coach near the end of January? You get that gig. You hire your staff. You meet your players. You get ready for the combine and free agency. How do you stay ready for all that, and what's it been like? Jim, man, I think it's, um, it's, I'm one of the few people that I can say they have been getting ready for this for the last – um, 15 or so years um, since I uh, wasn't the head coach of Tampa anymore and just going through the process of being able to be with people and help other people um, that I've been able to work under or with or for. Um, you know, going all the way back, like you mentioned, working for Dan Quinn and helping him in his first opportunity in Atlanta uh, was a, a significant chance for me to grow and become a different person, um, no differently working with offense, defense, and special teams at Atlanta, being able to do all those different things and those walk of life. Uh, no different when I was at Washington after my opportunity with Tampa of getting a chance to go be around a guy like Mike Shanahan and really grow from his staff, his people, his leadership skills, the strong growth and their, and everything that's been going on. And then being fortunate enough to go out to L.A. and really get a whole different walk of life, um, be it to be a part of the whole organization and watch those guys grow and to get ready to make me ready for this next opportunity here in Atlanta. And I think that gives me just the competitive urgency that you need in order to be ready for those moments. Raheem Morris bringing the energy. You know, it's amazing when you think back on it. You were just 32. There might be something of a youth movement right now, but back in 09, you were just 32 when you were named head coach, and you just mentioned your growth. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. 13 years later, how different are you as both a coach and a person overall than you were then? No, it's so much different, man. When you're just talking about your family life, um, where you are from a personal development, where you are from a football development, um, where you are from just a, um, overall uh, taking advantage of the opportunity where you're at and where you are, uh, being where your feet are, just being calm and patient, um, having the ability not to get bitter but to learn every single moment and every step that you've taken. I think it's just all the things that have really helped me um, throughout the process. And I think um, it was a little frustrating for other people um, that I didn't get opportunities faster, but I never took it that way. I always took it as more opportunities to develop and grow and learn and I felt like everything was a lesson and everything was teaching me for this moment, right? Because I knew at some point it would happen or I really felt confident that it would happen. And when it did, I wasn't shocked. Um, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not bitter. I didn't go through that stage of, of, um, of, of disappointment that most people do. And I think that's just the genuine attitude that I chose to take in each and every job that I had. Raheem, this is amazing. Like, you're both asking and answering the questions. You just answered, like, four questions I was going to ask you. That's how good you are at this. I was going to say, like, you made the point, like, I never got bitter. There might have been some people around me who were getting frustrated, but I never got bitter. Did you – look, NFL people know, right? People have always raved about you, so maybe deep down you knew, but were there never moments? That's a long time, 13 years. Did you never once think, hey, man, what if I don't get another opportunity? No, I don't think you think about getting an opportunity. I think if you do a really good job at the jobs you currently have, it provides you chances to get the next opportunity. And, you know, like 
you never take that for granted that you're going to get that next opportunity, but you're certainly preparing for it in, as if you do, right? There's only um, 32 of these jobs. And really, there's only 32 of every job that's in the National Football League. So any one of these jobs in the National Football League and whatever, any sports or whatever you want to look at, is a privilege to be a part of. So, like, for me, I, I, I took that in the everyday mentality, attitude, culture, building, uh, whatever it was um, that I wanted to make sure that I was able to contribute to and, and be able to walk away from that stuff, be able to steal great information or they make sure I can be able to give some great information so we can move forward. Raheem Morris joining me for a few more moments. Obviously, one of the big questions is what to do a quarterback. How are you approaching that? Like, where do you think your next quarterback is coming from? Do you have him already or probably not? You know, um, it's the elephant in the room in Atlanta, right? Who's going to be our next quarterback? And obviously, the ways we're going to be able to go about it is the ways we've been saying the whole time, right? Is either going to be free agency, there's going to be something that goes down within the college draft, or we're going to have a chance to trade for someone, right? And those are your major avenues of being given. Now, what do we have, right? We have money to be able to go buy a quarterback. We have draft capital to be able to go pick one and potentially move up or back or stay put in order to make those things happen. And you still got those trade markets because people want to do things um, in trade, right? So, like, the collaboration between myself, Terry, and this plethora of quarterback committee that I put together on our staff uh, we'll go through that, and we'll have that tedious, timely period um, that we can go through these moments and find a way um, to get the best person for us to win championships. All right, so really quickly, before I let you go, two really, really quick things. I had a conversation with Sean Payton in Vegas leading up to the Super Bowl. Obviously, he's got his own situation. You have yours. But let me ask you the same thing I asked him. What are you looking for in a quarterback? You know, when you're talking about the quarterback position, we all are going to act like uh, we have more insight than we really do. You know, we're all looking for decision makers. We're all looking for guys that can go out there and execute the game plan. We're all looking for guys that can go out and really um, lead their team and go out there and win football games, right? So that's the main thing. That's the, those are the main things. We all have different profiles of what they look like, um, what they can feel like, what they can be like. But you better use your resources and people around you. And that's why we've hired T.J. Yates. That's why we've hired Zach Robinson. That's why we hired D.J. Williams. That's why we've hired K.J. Black. Chandler Whitmire, Ken Zampezi, a bunch of guys that have been around this league for a long time that are going to have opinions on all these guys and allow our decision makers to make the decision that we want to bring in. Raheem, one last thought. You mentioned Terry. I want to ask you about that. I want to follow up and I'll let you go. You think about those great relationships. Like you think about, you were with the Rams, so you know. You think about Sean McVay and Les Snead. You think about the 49ers. You think about John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. What about you and Terry Fontenot? How critical is that connection and how would you describe it? You know, I, I can only I can only talk about the one that I was around most recently and Les Need and Sean McVay and how their relationship just permeates throughout the building. You know, those two and their communication and how it works across our, our whole building is what I would love to have here in Atlanta. I want everybody to know how connected we are so that makes the whole building more connected. That makes us more connected with our owner. That makes us connected with the bottom person in the building to the top person in the building, whoever those people are and however you want to flip it. But if we can get those kinds of connections in our building and allow us to communicate at the highest level, that'll give us the best chance to have a competitive team uh, every single week. He is the new head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. He is a two-time Super Bowl champ. He is Raheem Morris. Raheem, I appreciate you so much, man. Congrats. Great to have you on the show. I really appreciate you taking time, Coach. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Jim. That was not correcting you, man. That was just me getting a chance to gloat with my guy. Oh, dude, you're the best. I absolutely deserve to be corrected, man. You should. Raheem Morris is the best. God, I love that energy. So good. So, so, so good.
Great hire, you see? And to those asking, what about the hood? What about the hood? Raheem Morris, love that energy. Falcons fan, reaction. NFL fan, reaction. Hit me up. That was worth the wait. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. It's been a minute since the ref show stole the show. And was the main story of an NBA game. And I don't mean been a minute in the slang way like, you know, it's been a long time. I mean it literally. It's been like 10 seconds since it happened. It's happened over and over and over again this season. And it happened again last night in New York. Nobody bought tickets to a ref show in New York City last night. They showed up to see the Knicks play the Pistons, and instead, they get a crazy game with a crazy ending, made even crazier by, you guessed it, the ref show. Although the Knicks and the Pistons definitely did their part to make the ending of that game pretty whack, check out this crunch time sequence that ultimately led to the Knicks' win. If ever there was a sequence that necessitated a Benny Hill bed, it's this one. Brunson, three-pointer, off the mark, rebound deflected, chased down, saved by Grimes to Fontecchio, knocked away, Hartenstein picks it up, out to DiVincenzo, 10 seconds to go, he throws it away, ball loose, picked up by Brunson, Brunson inside the heart, Hartz banks it in, What an absolute bleep show. I mean, Mike Breen is one of the best to ever do it, and even he had trouble following what was going on. And that's not a knock on him. I mean, nobody could follow what was going on. And you could see that. I mean, you saw Monty Williams' immediate reaction. You saw his immediate reaction to the non-call, and Monty wasn't just furious in the moment. He would stay furious, and he would take that fury with him to the postgame podium. Because in the chaos of that melee sequence at the end of the game, there was a collision near the sideline. Dante DiVincenzo collided with Asar Thompson. And it ultimately led to the Josh Hart and one that ultimately won the Knicks the game. It was a missed call. It was. But according to Monty afterwards, it was more than just a missed call. It was, in his words, quote, an abomination. The absolute worst call of the season. No call. And enough's enough. We've, we've done it the right way. <clears throat> we've called the league. We've sent in clips. We're sick of hearing the same stuff over and over again. We had a chance to win the game, <clears throat> and the guy dove into Asar's legs, and there was a no call. That, that's an abomination. You cannot miss that in an NBA game, period. And I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of our guys asking me, what more can we do, coach? That situation is exhibit A to what we've been dealing with all season long, and enough's enough. You cannot dive into a guy's legs 
in a big time game like that and there be a no call. It's ridiculous and we're tired of it. We just want a fair game called, period. And I got nothing else to say. We want a fair game. And that was not fair. I'm done. I mean, I like Monty a lot. Everybody likes Monty a lot. I respect Monty a lot. Everybody respects Monty a lot. Incredible human being. Great coach. However, that rant was hilarious. And not in a good way. It was hilariously forced. Hilariously desperate. Hilariously awkward. And I get it. The dude is desperate. This team does not get many chances to win. And for the record, he's not even wrong here. It was a foul. It should have been called. You know how I know that? Even the ref show admitted they jacked it up. Quote, Upon post-game review, we determined that Thompson gets to the ball first and then was deprived of the opportunity to gain possession of the ball. Therefore, a loose ball foul should have been whistled on New York's Dante DiVincenzo. End of quote. (laughs) So there you have it. It was the wrong call. Nobody's even debating that, right? However, was it an abomination? My guy, really? Did you see the rest of the play? I would say the entire sequence was an abomination. abomination. I would say your entire season is an abomination. But the missed call? Eh, Let's not get into that. That That call in that spot, in the middle of that chaos. I mean, I think even we all understand how the ref show blew that one. Like, that's the one time that I might actually defend the ref show. That's how chaotic that was. Let's put it this way. The ref show has completely whiffed on much easier calls than that one. And if you go check out that sequence on the X right now, I guarantee you won't even notice that foul the first time. You won't even notice it the first time. Abominations generally stand out. They're abominations. That's what makes them an abomination. They're abominable. If you don't see it right away, it's not abominable. And again, as much as I like and admire Monty Williams, he's coaching one of the worst teams in quite some time. So him calling anything as it relates to that team, an abomination is an abomination itself. Incredible word right there, abomination. An abomination. It just doesn't apply there. There is no such thing as an abomination on an eight-win team except the eight-win team itself. Now, that is an abomination. And if the team wants to do or wants to know what to do or what more it can do, I would tell them to grab a defensive rebound on occasion. I would also inform them that turning the ball over as much as they do is not a good idea. And I would stop blaming the ref show for how crappy they are, the team, not the ref show. Detroit had like three separate opportunities to put that game away on that one play alone. And yet they blew it over and over again. And then they want to turn around and not only blame the refs, but call it an abomination. An abomination. How bad must it be if I'm defending the refs? Hey guys, no offense. 
but maybe this is why you only have eight wins. Let me put it to you another way. It may sound like eight wins is bad. How about you look at it this way? Maybe this is why you're 41 games under 500. 41. You want to talk about an abomination. Your record is the abomination. Your franchise is the abomination. Not the call. Of course, everybody hates the ref show. But I don't think anybody's going to really rally behind Monty as great a dude as he is. I don't think anybody is going to rally behind him on this being an abomination. abomination. Again, class act of a coach. But I don't think this is going to go down in the archives along with uh, some of the all-time ref show takedowns. Take Darko Ryakovich. He did a much better job like just six weeks ago, and that dude hadn't even coached 60 career games yet. He still hasn't. That's outrageous. What happened tonight, this is completely BS. This is shame. Shame for the referees, shame for the league to allow this. 23 free throws for them, and we get two free throws in in the fourth quarter. Like, how to play the game. I, all, I understand uh, respect for all-stars and all that, but we have star players on our team as well. How's possible is Scotty Barnes, who is all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and trying to get, get uh, to, to the rim without flopping and, and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two uh, free throws for the whole game. How is that possible? How are you going to explain that, that to me? If that's, if that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them a win. But that, that was not fair tonight. And this is not happening first time for us. Scotty Barnes is going to be all-star. He's going to be the face of this league. And what, what's happening over here during whole season, I've been holding it back. It's a complete crap. So much more effective. Number one, top to bottom, so much better. But you know what's better than calling something an abomination? Calling something a complete crap. It's a complete crap. That is so good. Monty, let me ask you this. Hypothetically, let's say that the refs not only got that call right. Let's say they give you all the calls. Every call possible. Like you've got five LeBrons, or in this case, Scotty Barnes. you got five LeBrons on the floor for every play. You lead the league in free throws. You get every single charge, every single block. So, say you get all those calls. So, instead of eight wins, you have what? 11? Hell, because I like you so much, I'll give you 12. Then you're still looking up at the rest of the league, except for Jordan Poole's Wizards and Pop Spurs, who couldn't give a damn about winning. Unfortunately, your reasonable complaint is falling on the deafest of deaf ears. Even the commissioner can't hear it with his set. An abomination. And believe me, that dude hears everything. Gordon 